0: They threatened me saying that the FBI was waiting for me. No son should see their father in prison. From going to a camp to max lockdown with murderers, bank robbers. I remember walking in there, I couldn't I couldn't hug you. That was definitely the hardest day of my life, I'd say. I thought I had a good thing going until, you know, the shit is the fan. How much are we talking about here? Well, it's $10 million over the course of a year, year and a half.
1: Hello, I'm Steve Class with the business breakthrough you've been waiting for. We're here taking service businesses to a million dollars and beyond. Let's see what kind of impact the next 30 minutes will have on your life and your business. All right, welcome to episode one of Business Success with Class. So excited to have you guys here. Thanks for tuning in. We're coming out really hard out of the gate here. This is a deeply personal story you're about to listen to. And quite frankly, I struggled with if I should even release this, because it involves the story of my father. For those of you who don't know, he was involved in organized crime, 90s to early 2000s, was arrested in 2001, I believe, and spent a couple of years behind bars. And was, as you can imagine, this was a profound impact on myself and just my overall mentality growing up. I hope that you'll find some value in here. I certainly did. It's a roller coaster of a tale of peaks, very low valleys, and ultimately a story of redemption. If you're listening and you feel like you're stuck in your business or your personal life, and you feel like there's no end in sight, rest assured, as long as you don't quit and take it day by day, there is always a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think you're going to get that from listening in here. So please subscribe to this channel. Each and every week, we're going to bring you some great success stories, just like this one. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. So I'm sitting here with my father, whose life reads like a Frank Sinatra song. He's been a popper, a poet, a, a warrior. He's been up, down, sideways. He's had peaks, valleys, everything in between. He's someone I consider one of my heroes. He's also someone that I look up to but I learn what not to do, what to do. And he's got an incredible life story he's gonna share that I was a part of as a young teenager. So you can say hi to everybody you now.
0: Hey, what's up? I don't know how my son worked, turned out to be the way he is.
1: Yeah, God oh, bless him. We'll we'll get into that. So we're gonna speak about it a little bit from the very beginning, and uh, this is a wild ride, guys. So buckle up. Tell me a little. Tell everybody a little bit where you grew up.
0: We're from Brooklyn, New York. That's an All Italian, neighbors. And what was life back then? Was it more of a like a neighborhood feel? Was it very oh, close it? Oh, definitely a, a more of a neighborhood feel, not like it is today. Everybody spoke to each other. Your neighbors were friendly. They would always want to help out. It's just two different worlds the way it is now. Even going back to Brooklyn, it's just, it's not the same. Right. So this was also in the, you were born in
1: 1964. So you were growing up mainly in the 1970s. Yeah, the 70s and the 80s. So speak to me when you first started getting involved in work. Like you were always a natural born hustler. You would always had really good work ethic. So speak about some of your first jobs, what you were doing.
0: About nine to 10 years old. And my father was a fireman. Grandpa was a fireman. And he used to drop me off at my grandfather's grocery store. Nine, 10 years old, just to go there and work, sweeping up, stocking the shelves, cutting cold cuts. And then grandpa would come pick us up, pick me up after work. And uh, that got me just when I first made my first dollar, that's when it all, I could not believe that I actually earned money as a nine or a 10 year old that I had my own money to buy my own candy. <laughs> Everybody else was asking mommy and daddy for money to buy candy or an ice cream. I've been independent ever since t- about 10 years old. Yeah. So, so it's not outrageous to say that you were. Into business at as a nine or ten years old. Oh yeah, matter of fact, I, my first business was I had a paper route, and you had to be twelve years old to have a paper route. I lied about my age. I said I was twelve when I was really eleven. And back then, they would drop the papers, the newspapers, off at your house. It was the Daily News, and you would deliver your newspapers, and then you go around once a week to collect your money. There was no internet, no computers and stuff like that. You go door to door knocking on people's doors to get paid. And then we used to in the winter time, I would pray for snow because I would sure. just go around knocking on my customers' doors I delivered newspapers to to shovel the snow for them. That was my hustle up until maybe 13, 14 years old. Yeah. And I I know you mentioned that in
1: Bensonhurst it was a pretty predominantly Italian neighborhood. Now for anyone who's ever watched movies like Goodfellas or uh, The Godfather even some of these scenes take place in Brooklyn, in Bensonhurst and Gravesend. Speak about, you mentioned that you worked at like a meat slicing machine. What was the name of the
0: place? Oh, you told about when I worked as a butcher? Butcher, yeah. Oh, I worked as a butcher in, in Meat Supreme. I was about, f- from like 15 to 17. And that was owned by Paul Castellano. And who was Paul Castellano? He was the, the main mafia boss at the time. And he had about six or seven stores he was in the meat packing district in manhattan and i used to i met him quite a few times and they used to send me to his house when it snowed in staten Island to go shovel his snow for him and he would throw me 50 or 100 dollars. and i'm going back this is you go back in the early 80s that was a lot of money back then and i didn't even realize how powerful he was until after he got murdered then there was like oh my god i used to work for the number one mobster in 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 New York, but I just did a lot of favors. I worked hard in the meatpacking district and in Meat Supreme up until uh, I went to the military.
1: So, great, but we can lead into the military. So it's fair to say that you were around a lot of wise guys growing up, just from late living in the neighborhood. Oh, yes, yeah. It was definitely an experience, De- definitely. Would you say that, how much of an influence did that weigh on you? Because I know that my grandfather, Peter, was very straight-laced, very... It reminds me of the movie, The Bronx Tale, where you have the bus driver, who is very like... That's, that's my father. And then you got you have the guy, and like, just... sunny, the Sonny, the Sonny in the neighborhood, <laughs> yeah, yeah. who is like more of the wise guy, making a little bit more easy money. So how much would you say that
0: weighed against you? A, a great deal. Uh, I'd say a, a, a great deal. It, it's, we you know, when you're young and uh, you can make quick money, it's a good feeling, could you, you impress your friends, you impress girls, you're 16, 17 years old, you know, you're able to go out to dinner and then drink and have a good time. So you don't even think about the consequences. And even if sure. you did, there were consequences, it, it wasn't like you were thinking about going to jail or anything like that. It just was a different era. Right. Different era. And if you got caught, your parents would beat you. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And that was it. You'd get straight. You and, and then, you know, you'd right. go out again.
1: So the repercussions weren't really severe. It was like you get through the pain of that night and no, then you're no, good. not the way it is now. Right. No, no, so no, that's for sure, let's get into what drew you into the, the military. So what happened? Because you're around these wise guys and you had m- multiple jobs. So I know you worked at a gas station. What was happening there? Yeah, walk- at, the ga- at the gas station?
0: Yeah, walk me through what the, the catalyst was. Well, at the gas station, I didn't realize that the private sanitation company was owned by the mob. And what I would do is I would make believe that their cars were coming in to get gassed, putting down plate numbers that we had on file, and just rob the money. Until one day. How long did this go on for, by the way? Three or four months until the private sanitation guys started getting their gas bills and realized that they were getting robbed. So they sat on me for like two nights to watch my operation. And how old are you, by the way? 16 or 17, and when they figured out it was me, they were supposed to break my legs. But my uncle knew somebody. They spoke to him. They threatened. They were gonna. They were gonna. They were supposed to break my legs. But then I paid the money back. And once I paid the money back, everything
1: was dropped. I think Grandpa got involved there too. He, he spoke to them as well. He,
0: they remember. Not really. No, not really. It was more my my. my my aunt and, and her boyfriend at the time, this guy, Tommy. Sure. Uh, and they straightened it out for me so that I wouldn't catch a beating as long as I paid the money back. So that was more of a lesson than actually getting caught by my parents or the cops because when you piss off the wise guys, it's for real.
1: Sure. From this moment on, now you're getting into more consistent trouble, like doing petty crimes, things of that nature. I know you, you got arrested, but it's more of they kind of let you off. I know you worked at Pathmark, had, a, had some... Stolen goods happened there. I know you, you you had some stuff in high school also.
0: Just to show you how, how sick your mind is when you were a kid, I started working as a cashier in Pantamark, and this was the time when they first came out with the, uh, the barcodes. Because prior to that, you had to <clears throat> physically ring up every item. So in my sick head, I went around to, 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 to delis around my high school, got with the owners to only go shopping at Pantamark, And when they came in, I would purposely not scan 75% of their orders, and they would just give me the difference. When I went back to school, I would go to the delis, and they would give me cash, up until I got taken out of that place in handcuffs, because I eventually got caught. And that's when my parents decided it was time for me to go into the military. Yeah, your options at
1: that point, from what I understand, were jail or military. Yeah.
0: So my father's like, well, where do you want to go? you picked the navy so i picked the navy because i wanted to travel the world and it seemed pretty cool at the time and i and i was able to learn a trade but nowadays there's no such thing as pick jail or or the military now it's you have to have a high school diploma minimum some college so just the times are different
1: so in the navy i know you worked more in like the labor stuff like sweeping floors working the boiler room would you would it be fair to say do you think that the navy and still discipline in you in some way, or did it not really affect you because your ways were set already from your childhood and teenage years?
0: Well, I'd say going through boot camp was pretty intense. I was 17 years old, I was the youngest guy in boot camp. And uh, boot camps, no joke, they straightened me out real, real good in boot camp. But then once you get assigned to a ship and you start making friends and you start meeting girls and going overseas, but then you see how the other side of the world is. Then the discipline went right out the window. Then it was just a matter of like you know, how many girls we could get with, and how drunk we could get. Yeah, yeah. You know, but at least I got the I, I got to travel of the world, and, uh, and,
1: and you put your time I,
0: in. I, I put my time in, and that's that's how I met your mom.
1: Yep. So w- once you get out of the navy, I know that financially you're in the best shape. You're working at, as a mechanic with my mother, and you decide to make the move back home from South Carolina to New York. So once you got back to New York, was it at this moment in time, like, okay, I need to find a job because I have a young family on the way. I know we were living in Brooklyn. You're working, I think construction at the time, bought your first duplex. So you got involved in real estate pretty early. Yes, I did, But I think you correct me if I'm wrong. You wanted more of a, like benefits pension, you know, kind of straighten our path a little bit more.
0: Yes. Yes. And, and you know, a- after I got out of the military, I, I had a few old shit jobs here and there. And then as a joke. Me and my cousin, we applied for a driver, a UPS position as a driver. And because I had a military background, within a week, hi. Yeah,
1: keep this a little closer.
0: They hired me within, within a week. <clears throat> and I, after I did some training, I was a, a full-time driver in midtown Manhattan. So they
1: say old habits die hard, right? I know you mentioned when you, you were younger, you always looked for a little bit quicker ways to make money because it came easy and you were able to spend it. Speak to me the first time you saw an opportunity to potentially skim off the system? Like, how did you learn about it? Describe a little bit how UPS was back then too, because it's very different the way it is oh, now.
0: Oh yeah, it's funny that an uncle of mine, Uncle Tony, he had a body shop and he used to make custom limousines. And, and one day he was just in not just talking, and he mentioned how him being straight-laced, he, he, he never did it, but that put the idea into my head. And you gotta remember, it, it, at that time, there was no barcodes, no computers, no tracking. You had to physically write down packages on a pad. Cash on delivery. Dishes, cash on delivery. It was a completely different world. And where were you working in Midtown Manhattan? Or yeah, I was working on Midtown Manhattan. Which,
1: for those of you who have never been there or anywhere near Broadway and those, that area, it's extremely busy. A lot of merchants, a lot of diamond district operators, a lot of garments.
0: And and I'll tell you, you, you what, what used to piss me off is that. Guys used to we used to rob packages out of my truck. I'd go in the truck, and you have these thieves that would reach in and try to grab packages off you, and then you know, you'd be walking with a load of boxes on a hand truck, and they would set you up and take a box and run, and and they wait for you to chase them. And if you chase them, another guy would would just take off with all the boxes. So that put the idea in my head: like these guys are getting away with being robbing me. I might as well try. Why to not something. me? Yeah. Why
1: not me? And I, correct me if wrong. How many held, times have you held at gunpoint? Three times. Robbed. Ro- Straight right up tro- robbed.
0: Jumped yep. in the truck, guns drawn. Gun to my head one time. Another time, gun to my stomach. Another time, they just flashed me a gun. Because at the time, they don't do it no more. But COD means cash on delivery, and I would deal with mostly Arabs. And they would buy merchandise from California, and people from California just didn't trust them. So they would get their packages sent cash on delivery. So on average, I'd pick up between thirty or and $50,000 a day in cash. And have a safe in the truck. I have a safe in the truck. And when I got robbed, it would come. I was set up 100%. And every time I got robbed, it was before I was able to drop the money in the safe. So that even made me more furious. Sure. Like, I'm risking my life for these people now it's time for me to get paid. The mentality at the time. That was, that was my so, mentality. So how
1: did this start? You approached one of these Middle Eastern guys. Walk me through like what, oh, what
0: was what were they selling? The easiest part, the easiest way to get started was because the, the Middle Eastern guys were corrupt and the Israelis were corrupt to begin with. Yeah, and for
1: those of you who don't know, nineteen nineties New York City was not the well, place it is now. Of the eighties, oh, you, you say, yeah.
0: Late eighties, early nineties. Broadway was filled of just, just mostly Arabs and Israelis. And it, that's where the wholesale district was. Sure. And I would make deals with them. Listen, if you want, I can get merchandise for you from different guys. And just give me half the invoice. And there wasn't one Middle Eastern right. or one Israeli that said no. Or Indian. Even Indians. Don't think the Indians with the turbans on their heads? They're the most, they're the biggest thieves. So don't yeah. be fooled by that. <laughs>
1: so let me just walk through these, some of these operations. So you would bring in their packages, stuff they legitimately ordered from different distributors. And then you would say, hey, just give me a
0: percentage of what this no, is worth. It's even better. I would go with, let's say if you had 10 boxes, I'd say, listen, I'm going to write down seven. You signed for seven, three of them got lost. You give me half what the boxes were. And I had multiple customers. Sure, multiple Because there was no way to track anything. I made friends. I think that to
1: back up a second, I remember you mentioned to me once that one of the guys was trying to scheme you without trying to get away with it. Where he would get the boxes,
0: I think would have cut open the bottom, and then... oh, I had one of these Arab guys, Lebanese guys. I brought like twenty boxes into his store, and as the boxes were going into the back of the store, he, he was try he was opening up the boxes, re-taping them, put rags back in them, and then trying to tell me. He wanted to refuse the boxes, but it actually, I caught on, had a big fight with the guy because he was trying to scheme me when I was the schemer. Yeah. And I just set him straight and said, listen, if you want to rob, I'll show you how to rob. You ain't got to be trying to bullshit to me and trying to retake boxes. After that, we became good friends and made a lot of money together. So at the time talk let's talk about a little bit of
1: of income how much were you bringing in on a weekly basis would you say
0: I'd say for good for good two three years put it this way I used to save my entire salary and not touch my salary at all and still we bring it in between eight and twelve thousand fifteen thousand a week a week this is also back in the 80s when Inflation is this is a much it's, bigger number now. Yeah, and I would save I saved most of it. You know, I spent it too. I spent a lot of money, I had boats, had cars, had motorcycles, vacations, even you, you,
1: you got the best no, of it. You know, when I was five or six years old, I I do remember having the, the really cool red Corvette in <laughs> the uh the the driveway. Yeah. So so this is going on for now for a couple of years. Oh yeah, a few years. And when does UPS start to potentially catch on? Because I think you had expanded operations and you started recruiting other drivers, and even your, your boss, I believe. So can you, can you yeah. get into that
0: a little? Well, my, my idiot supervisor at the time was collected a COD, it was like $7,000, and he puts the money in a paper bag on top of a payphone to make a phone call, leaves the money on top of the payphone, obviously when he went back for it, it was gone, comes to me, I believe it, he, he was one of my tenants at the time too. It comes to me crying. He didn't know what to do. So I had to show him how to rob something in order to make up the $7,000. Explained to him how the bullshit, not to say that the, they weren't in. And I I him. I bought him like a couple of days before he had to turn the money in. And uh, but besides that, you know, other guys would catch on, you know, how I was living, what kind of cars I was driving, me and your mom. And I had like five or six guys at the time. That were just giving me boxes that they were just so you had a you had a full operation where you, oh, the, yeah. you
1: were the ringleader oh yeah and you recruited these other guys who saw this opportunity that was happening yeah because
0: they didn't know how to get rid of merchandise right when
1: at the time when did ups start to get a little clued into this when do you think they started following you around saying okay this can't I, be that
0: every single time these packages are lost i think what happened was well the guy that used to load my truck i ha- i was figuring him in too because he was putting other Boxes from different routes into my truck. I made this guy so much money that I bought him a a Camaro and just handed him the keys outside and said, Your car's parked across the street at the diner. So maybe I started getting a little bit too cocky and then they flashy. So you were drawing attention. I was young, you know, I was in my 20s, you know, I was getting flashy and they started, I guess they started an investigation through loss prevention and started following me around, you know.
1: I know that you used to, basically you had a system where all the guys would do the work for you. So your
0: deliveries were almost taken care of. You only had to work about two hours for UPS. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my customers would come out to the truck and get their packages or they would bring the, the pickups down to me. So I had plenty of time to... You went to the gym. To do, I went to the gym. I, <laughs> yeah, used to, I used to box at the time. But, uh, you know, I thought I had a good thing going until, you know, the shit hits the fan. But one thing I advise the young generation is stay away from the goddamn drugs. Yeah, that's something interesting. You
1: never actually got involved in any type of drugs really ever, no. even in spite of all of you know, no, in spite of all the bullshit. <laughs> no. no I so I know that UPS started doing this investigation. You get called into an office at one point. Yeah. To, to sit down with the managerial team and loss prevention. Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. They thought that, yeah.
1: So what was that like when you sat down? What exactly occurred?
0: Well, they, you know, they the only way I was able to, to walk away from this was because of, of the school of hard knocks. They pulled me in the office. They threatened me to say that the FBI was waiting for me. They just wanted me to, to admit to what I was doing. They would be lenient on me, that I would lose my job and all this other bullshit. So when I saw I wasn't stopping, I just basically said, you know what, I quit. And that made them even more furious because they didn't get nothing out of me. I I had 10 years in. I was vested, guaranteed a pension, and I just quit. And whatever, whatever I did... Well, I know that they refused
1: to believe that you were innocent, and didn't one of your supervisors confront you afterwards? The
0: you know, lost prevention guy, big, big Irish guy, confronted me and said, "I'm not letting you leave. That I'm not going to let you leave like this. There's no way you're going to be able to walk out of this building." I've been following you all day, and I said, "Well, you know, you were following me all day." Yeah. So I went. So I, you know, I box every day. So listen, buddy, you got arid opportunity. So either we, we, we throw down or you're going to get knocked the fuck out. Yeah, <laughs> And uh, he got scared and I walked out and that was you, the last time I ever walked into that building. So you essentially got away with it. A hundred percent. I resigned for personal reasons.
1: And I know that you were taking a lot of this money you were making and investing it into other businesses. So you're buying up real estate. You were getting clean, so to speak. You were, you were kind of like, okay, this was a close call. Let me
0: try to... Legit- that was a wake-up call. So so what I did was that Then I started thinking positively. And I took money. And, you know, I I, I bought real estate. I bought uh, bread routes. I bought the laundromats, dry cleaning stores, had restaurants, had a lot going on for a good eight long to ten run. years. I had a long run, a long run.
1: So let's fast forward a little bit now to when you had one of these laundromats. Obviously, you, you had learned operations from your UPS days and applied it to a legitimate business of like how to be a leader, how to have like a crew of guys working for you, how to do delivery successfully from UPS. So yeah, you were the first guy, I think in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn at the time to do pickup and delivery service for laundromats. I was the only guy in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn that
0: was doing pickup and delivery of
1: laundry and dry cleaning. And I remember for, for direct marketing, this is now, I'm a little bit older. You were the first guy to do door flyers and physically go into these apartment buildings and have me and my brother, Michael. Hang up these door signs to uh, get
0: new customers. I invented the door knocker. Yeah. Where instead of putting flyers on these people's doors, I, I had a printer next door to my laundromat. And, and now that you see, like, you know, they, they call them door knockers, with, it was advertising. But it was my idea to come up with it. Instead of putting flyers on the people's doors, I, I put flyers on people's doorknobs. And believe it or not, that was the best advertising ever until the internet hit. I remember they were like neon yellow. You couldn't ignore them. Y- yeah, yeah. The trick is, is, listen, you do flyers and the, the rule of thumb is that people will throw them out five times without even looking at them. But sure. sixth time you do the same door, they notice it. They'll get the phone call. And, and you know, the percentage of right, for research, it's like you get between a quarter and a half of a percent response. I know it sounds ridiculous, but If you're doing 10,000 door knockers, you know, when you get 25 new customers, that's a score. Yeah, And it takes you, let's say, you know, a week or two to hand out 10,000 flyers, but you get 25 or 30 new customers, and you do that every few months. That's how I built my business up.
1: And you built this up legitimately, got up to, I think you were, what were you taking home at the time uh, per week? I would say say
0: we're doing at least 10,000 a month net. And that was back in the early 90s. Yeah, it's it good good So let's talk about now
1: how you got reintroduced to some key figures, because I know you had some unsavory characters who started to hang around the laundromat and became your customers. Oh, yeah, that was my biggest
0: downfall. There was a, there was an Italian espresso sort of coffee shop next door to my laundry. And the, you know, the Irish used to hang out there, Italians. And, you know, I, well, that I, I became friendly with them. And uh, you know, one thing leads to another, and they're like, "Oh, you know, we want to send money overseas. You got a connection? Yeah, I got an accountant. I'm friends with him for 20 years. And uh, one thing leads to another. The accountant sets up these escrow accounts that were supposed to be set up for real estate deals. They were depositing money, cash, into these accounts, wiring the money overseas. The gets lazy doesn't follow up with the paperwork and then finally it becomes well let's let's back up where was the money really coming from from the arabs and on broadway
1: so you you introduced these guys i introduced to so your old connections that you used to do business with yeah. so essentially they were trying to funnel and money launder money from for these middle eastern guys to overseas accounts where were they like in like lebanon and
0: in south america lebanon they basically they didn't want to pay taxes Right. You know, they didn't want to pay tax. So they were in a cash business. They would the Arabs wanted to get their money out of the country. And my accountant set up the bullshit escrow accounts and that's how they were able to push money out of the country.
1: So you didn't really you weren't really involved in the operations. You just kind of made the connection.
0: Well, I just introduced everybody together and my accountant at the time uh, He was he was a good friend of yours. He was, you know. So what how much are we talking about here? Like, at what point? Well, it came out to almost $10 million over the course of a year, year and a half. And what was your take on that? Well, I was responsible for $750,000. I remember that.
1: I remember coming home as a kid. We were living in Staten Island at the time. And I remember going to take a bath. And I remember the bathtub was filled with cash. In the duffel bags, you In a duffel bag. And as I think I was 9 or 10, I was like, (laughs) okay, and just moved it to the side and took a bath. (laughs) They don't think much of it. So you were making some money off of this as well. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. So I know at this point now you had the federal U.S. Treasury Department watching you. You didn't know at the time. No. They were building up a whole case against everyone. Yeah. What was the evidence they used against you? What was the turning point where it was like, we got them? My accountant got busted. Even before that, didn't he send you to go to the bank? Well, or
0: yeah, but that wasn't even, I made deposits into his account, but that wasn't the reason why, how I got busted is, is that when they busted him for money laundering, he became a rat, federal informant. And then uh, a couple of days after he got arrested, then they came and got me. And uh- Let's talk about the day that you actually got arrested.
1: Where were you? What was it like? I'm sure it's, it, I'm sure it's, Burned into your memory.
0: Yeah, well, you know what's funny is that you know I'm always... Uh, even though I did a lot of scheming, but I also worked like an animal. So I remember it clearly. My driver called in sick. I was like, all oh, right, yeah, I'll just go start doing laundry deliveries. So here I am making deliveries. And all of a sudden, I get surrounded by four cars. Eight monsters jump out with their guns drawn. And this was a year after we finished depositing money. Right. So I'm thinking... Got the wrong guy. You Got the wrong guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, it didn't even make sense to me. Like, what? No, oh, no. My driver just called in sick. They're like, no, no. It's you. Well, yeah, yeah. you got the right guy. As a matter of fact, they took me over by the Twin Towers. This is before 9/11. This is before 9/11. It was the number six building, which, which, which actually we lost for for 9/11. That one of the, that, that building went down as well. And about I think four or five guys got busted all at the same time. And I was the only one that kept my mouth shut. So you get arrested. You get put into this detention center, and what are they hitting you with? Like, these are the charges? Like, hit me with They try to, you know, it's a scare tactic. They come out, you're strong, eight guys with the guns drawn, and they drag you downtown, they put you in an interrogation room, and what they start of- asking you questions right off the rip. And then first they read you your rights. So if you're smart, you shut the fuck up. Yeah. You get your rights read to you, and you just tell them, well, oh, you just read me my rights.
1: We have the right to use any information provided against you, right? So once you shut up, then they get nuts. You know, they get what, really, really bad. Were they threatening you? Like you're looking at how many years? If you, if you
0: I did, I, I made, the, I, I wouldn't talk to them after that. So I didn't even give them the opportunity to threaten me to tell me how many years I was looking at because I, I shut them down immediately. And within my my bail was like a half a million dollars. Let's get into that. So were you released on 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 bail
1: that night? Because at that time I don't actually remember. You getting arrested? No. It, it was. I think that you, they had a court date, and I remember hearing the story that the whole family showed up, and then the judge cast a bail. How much was the bail? Half a million dollars. And how much did, did I think Grandma was there <laughs> with like a couple. My mother and
0: your mother showed up with like five thousand. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yo, we're gonna try to bail you out. So when the judge said the bail was a half a million, I turned to them and said, no, I, I got this. You
1: could yeah, sit down. That. So. At this time, let's not forget that this is like 10 years almost after UPS, how much cash did you have in the bank, and what did the, what did the Treasury Department end up doing with it?
0: Well, the way the government works is they confiscated a quarter of a million dollar, legitimate money that was legitimately in my account from the sale of a house. They confiscated all my money. Just froze your assets. Froze my assets. I went from having 250000 liquid to negative $2,000 the same day I got arrested. Most guys would jump off the Empire State Building, losing that kind of money. But at the time, you had two kids. Two kids, out of wife, out of business. And it's either man up, you know, or become a junkie.
1: Yeah. That's pretty much... Fall into desperation. Yeah. So you get arrested. You have a court date. You hire a lawyer, spend $60,000 on a lawyer. You get there. And the time you're looking at, I think, was anywhere from 12 months to 36 months. Right. What was the time frame? Uh, that
0: he it, gave you? No, it was like 24 months to 36 months was the time. And how much did the judge give you? Well, the judge gave me the max. He gave me 36 months. Because you didn't cooperate. Yeah. So okay. the Bottom line, I didn't cooperate. But meanwhile, the accountant got zero time. Because he, he basically- he, he was the whole, he was the- He, he was cooperated. the mastermind kind of- Another guy that was way, way more involved than me, he got a year. But I got the most time because I didn't cooperate, and, and, and I think the, the federal government doesn't like that. I'm old school. It sounds weird, but you, you do the crime and do the time, and, and that's, those, those are my morals. And I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change the way I handled myself no matter what. So, I it did it.
1: So even though your best friend at the time cooperated, threw you under the bus, all your other friends cooperated, they got, you, you see these guys getting way less time. Not One of the the mastermind, Billy, the accountant, actually didn't do any time. No time. You still would hold on to those principles and not change anything.
0: Yeah, you know why? Because I don't look over my shoulder. These guys, they look over their shoulder the rest of their life. Yeah. I don't. And I put that behind me, and it takes a certain kind of man to move forward and straighten his life out and do the right thing, And uh, you know, that's, way, that's 20 years ago. So
1: you get sentenced. At this point now, me and my brother Michael know about it. And, you know, when you're 12. I had to lie to you guys. You say, yeah, I
0: might go away for a little bit. Yeah. You know. We were very young. At you guys time. were 9, 11, you know, and, and how do you tell a 9-year-old or 11-year-old that you know, I'm going to be going away a third of your life, that you're alive? Yeah. So I used to have to tell you, oh, it's told you to be a few months and. There's no way I could I could have told you how long I was going away. Yeah.
1: So I, I remember that when you were basically arraigned and brought basically right from the court date on sentencing right to 3rd Avenue in Brooklyn. When you got to the, the jail for the first time, what was going through your head?
0: Well, first of all, the, you know, the government's vicious because I was supposed to do a self-surrender because it was a white-collar crime. So the whole time, my lawyer's telling me Look, you're going to get sentenced. You're going to go home. You're going to have 30 days of self-surrender. It's a white-collar crime. You're going to probably go to a camp with all white-collar guys. Little did I know, the day I got sentenced, they remanded me on the spot in front of all my family, and that was for, that was definitely the hardest the hardest day of my life, I'd say. I'm expecting to be sentenced. And to see it, see your kids be able to hug yeah, them a couple yeah, times. All of a sudden, right. you know, I... I my kids were in school. I didn't even get to say goodbye to them. The next time my kids saw me, was like a month later. You know, in jail. You
1: know, yeah, I, I, to go, you know, I remember it very vividly, even though I was young. And no son should see their father in prison. And I remember walking in there. I couldn't. I couldn't hug you. It was. It was difficult, say the least. Um, but you got through it. You got. You were sentenced in. that uh, it was a max security prison too.
0: It, like you were with rapists, murderers. <laughs> yeah, that was max me From going to a camp to max lockdown with murderers, bank robbers, almond heist guys. Yeah, everyone. <laughs> and, and they had me there for like six months, you know, waiting to be designated to go to a camp because they were still trying to get me to roll over. They still were trying to interrogate me. And then after six months, when they saw they couldn't get nowhere with me, is when I finally got transferred to a camp. You got transferred uh to Lewisburg. To Lewisburg, the worst camp in the country. Well, so
1: Lewisburg is, I did some research on this. If anyone's ever seen the movie Goodfellas back in the 80s, or even I should say 70s, the scene where they're cutting the garlic with the razor blade. That's true. That's where my dad went to the same (laughs) prison that all these guys went to. However, from the 1980s to the early 2000s, those days were over. There's no more like, you you didn't have your private room and hanging out.
0: It wasn't like you saw in the movies, but the listen. Being Italian, we stuck together. We used to eat together, cook together. Because you got five percent of the prison population is Italian, so right. You found you found you your find point. your niche. Yeah, you find your your tribe. That's a better word. You find your way to to do your time and get so it over with. What what kind of violence did you see while you're in jail? It's not as bad as like people think, except like the first day when I worked in the kitchen. You know, you were watching Pots and we Pants? I Pots and Pants. The yeah. fight broke out behind me, and uh, they tried to interrogate anybody. And I remembered, you don't say nothing about which. So they were interviewing, right? Why didn't you do fight going on? But but for the most part, there's way, way too much racism. Both ways. Right. There's way, way too much racism in jails. And, and, but at the same time, guys have respect for each other because, you know, you, you got to do your time, and, and you're mad up. You mind your business. You stay out of trouble. I worked out like a beast for like two and a half years. I hit the gym every day. And then when my time came out,
1: what was your mentality like? Where you, like you had a lot of time on your hands now? Where you what were you thinking about when you got out? What you would do?
0: It's it's when you're when you do a time, two things go through your head. First, you hate everybody. That's first. But then when you think about you got your family. You, I still had my business going on. At, you know, I started the laundromat. And all I was focused on while I was away was how to get out of this jam, how to how to bounce back because of you know, the bankruptcy. I came from dead zero, dead zero. And like, as soon as I got out, I was like, no, we ain't rented no more. We're going to buy a house. And you know, I bought my- I You bought started my reinvesting house. in real estate, right? I started investing in real estate. And, and at that time, back in the- 2006. 2000s or 2005, banks- you know, made a deal with the government. which bunch of idiots. Keep that close. They were a bunch of idiots. They were giving out. There were people buying houses with zero money down, financing the closing fees, and I just took advantage of it. Yeah. I had a, more, a friend of mine that was a mortgage broker said, I'll go buy a house. and uh, Zero money down. Zero money down and finance the closing fees. You got to be an idiot not to buy. As long as you could pay the mortgage.
1: The, the issue I think that was happening is a lot of these rates were variable. So people got jammed up after a few years when the, yeah. the rate changed from 5% to 7%. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people got, got hurt on that.
0: Well, you know, what happened was, I, when I came out, I I thought clear. And before I went in, I owned about, I think, two or three houses, multiple family houses. And the only the only good thing that, can, that happened out of me being away for three years was that real estate exploded. And the house worked a lot more. So that's when I started to use my resources and my mortgage brokers and my realtors. You started refinancing. I started refinancing everything that I had to try to pull equity out of everything. Instead of selling everything, I, I pulled equity out of three different houses. And this is how I slowly was able to recover. Came back to life. Came came back to life, yeah. So you
1: literally were at the top of the world at one point, got t- everything taken away from you. And more importantly, the idea of freedom taken away from you. That's the worst. During the during the time when your children also were at such a pinnacle age, where like they look for the parent, you know, it, what I've taken away from this too is uh, resiliency. Right, I see people now who complain about very minor things, So I'm like, you don't know, you have
0: no idea. You told my other, but you talk about Karens. Yeah, it's yeah, a, it,
1: Karens yeah, me, I mean, yeah. The Karens of the world, right? Yeah. So it, for me, it built up such a, a thick skin of character traits. That I apply to my business every single day, where it just rolls off me. Nothing bothers me, and I'm proud of you for that. I'm you really know, proud of you. And it's it's also gone to, as far as entrepreneurship is concerned, I never wanted to be in a position where where I didn't have the money to support my family. And I saw how hard you worked, legitimately and non-legitimately. And I've applied a lot of those practices to my businesses to the point now where we're working together on a construction business, and you've come so far from this is 20 years ago so it's been one hell of a journey oh yeah but you've come so far in your redemption arc that you've earned your stripes you've earned it so now
0: it's fighting force right now yeah
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah. so i know you're in your late 50s but i have no intention of slowing down and i know that the lessons have been learned
0: that you're not going back to jail ever (laughs) no no. Now now I pay my taxes and yeah. body pays my check and credit cards, in case, you, in case you're wondering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. pays my check and credit card. We're yeah. 100% legit now.
1: Right. And, and I think that this is the the whole moral of this story is that if you feel like you're going through hard times, there always is a light at the end of the tunnel, right? There's, it,
0: it looks like you're, you you're at so. that store. You think that, you're gonna, that, that it can't get any worse? And it does. It gets worse. And then as long as you have the spirit to, 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 to see the light at the end of the tunnel and just never give up, just make sure, listen, it's, it's a blessing just to be awake every day. I thank God every time I wake my eyes open. So I'm, I feel more blessed just being able to be healthy, strong, willing to work and forget about the past. Never dwell on the past. The past is the past. I look to the future. I got three grandchildren now. Steve's got a son and a daughter. My other son, Michael, has a has a boy. So these are these do much, much better now.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing to see. And it's I encourage anyone to listen to this story and take it day by day. Take it where you're no matter how dark it, it is for you right now, if you're listening to this, I promise you it's going to get better is if all you have to do is just get through the day, wake up the next day. Because in the grand scheme of things, you just heard yourself
0: a pretty wild story. I left a lot of things out because we don't have enough time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We have some crazy stories. We ended up in 2009, we ended up buying a restaurant, dealing with a Nazi chef, race riots in the restaurant. The list goes on and on of of the crazy things that we've been through that, that all have been lessons that we've learned about what not to do in a business. And we're finally at a point now, I think where we're putting into practice 30 years of
0: experience. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. That's right. so true. Never be afraid to start something. Never, because eventually something's gonna click. And what me and my son have right now is 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 working out good. We just keep rocking and rolling. We keep growing. Thank God we're taking on bigger projects. Yep. <laughs> and we know our we know our place. Steve's the brains. I'm the bull. Yep. I get the work done. He gets the he he's he's into the sales. And so far we've been doing this almost two years. And we've been done nothing pretty, but pretty growth,
1: explosive growth. Yeah, yeah. But I think we're going to end on that note. I think we're going to use that line nothing ventured, nothing gained. 100%. Don't be afraid to start, don't be afraid to see it through. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Hope you got some value out of this. Hope you, me too. Thank you for tuning into Service Business Success with Class. Are you craving more strategies to supercharge your business growth? You can connect with me at successwithclass.com or on my Instagram, at StevieClass, And remember, when you hit subscribe, it's a win-win. You'll get your hands on all the latest tips, and you'll be supporting the show too. Thanks again for joining, until next time.